0: So it's two days after Christmas. We've celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ, and just a few days left in 2020. And as we uh, talked about and we were preparing for this last Sunday of the year, my brain was swirling around with different ideas. And very graciously, the Holy Spirit put on my heart the question, what literally happens after Christmas? See, church, in the Gospels, we read three stories about Jesus' childhood— And the authors of our four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all understood that Jesus' childhood was not the main point of what they were trying to write. See, they had been entrusted with writing about the teachings of Jesus, the new plan of salvation through his death and resurrection. They were responsible for showing that this Jesus Christ was, in fact, the promised Messiah who would come and save save us from our sins and give us a new way to live. So the focal point of salvation is not Jesus' childhood, yet we are very clearly given these three stories, and they're clearly important enough to talk about. So what is the literal point after the Christmas story? Well, I was pondering this myself, and I found myself in the place where the greatest theological insights of our age can be found, Facebook. (laughs) And what is everyone posting about right now? How excited they are to be done with 2020. But here's the crazy part, church, is that people also talked about how excited they were to be done with 2016 and ironically how excited they were to be done with 2019 too. Yeah. See, everyone is excited to be done with the years that they deem bad, but that never really guarantees that the next year is going to be better or that any of those years are going to be fantastic. But what we find in scripture and what we find in our own lives is that we have made it right, we've made it through those difficult circumstances. And even when our world is seemingly falling apart, you pick your difficult year, you pick your difficult set of circumstances, we can see very clearly in our own lives and in scripture that God is enough. And when we hold to that truth, we will see that God was faithful then, he is faithful now, and he will be faithful forever. And understanding God's faithfulness it's one of the most important things we can talk about. It is one of the most crucial aspects of the character of God. Because in Scripture, we also see that God's faithfulness is important, and this is your first sermon note, because when people forget God's faithfulness, it leads to trouble for God's people. Right? Whenever they forget who God is or what he's done, their leaders end up in sin. They suffer. Their countries fall to foreign invaders. You know, standard run-of-the-mill stuff for the Bible, I suppose. But if we're being honest, we all tend to forget, especially in the world that we live in and how we have to deal with it on a daily basis. And so as people who desire to follow God well, it's okay for us to admit that we need a reminder of God's faithfulness. Over 166 times in the Bible do we see the use of the word remember as a way for us to see what the Lord has done and more importantly, who he is. And as we dive into the text, I encourage you to consider that, the remembrance piece. And I also encourage you to ask yourself these two questions. Number one is this, what are the times you've seen God's faithfulness present in your life? And number two, was God enough for those moments? And is he enough for you right now? Consider those questions. Let's go ahead and jump into the text. We're going to go in Matthew 2 first, starting in verse 13. Here is what the word of the Lord says. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to uh, Joseph, Joseph in a dream and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go up to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are now dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. You ever notice how we tend to skip over this story? Like, seriously, when was the last time you heard a story about Jesus' family running to Egypt? See, we really like to skip, you know, right from the Christmas story into Jesus' baptism, yet there is so much that we can talk about here, church, First, we can clearly see, and we know this, of course, but we can see that Jesus is no ordinary baby. Regular babies don't just make kings act the way that Herod did in this passage. And we also see two prophecies fulfilled, one from Jeremiah 31.5, the other from Isaiah 11.1. And this, too, is an example of God's faithfulness because it is so crucial that Jesus fulfills every prophecy ever written about his life so that he can show without a doubt that he is the Messiah. But as it relates to God's faithfulness, there's a couple of things that I want you to notice here. First, God's faithfulness is on display when he sends an angel to warn Joseph, yo, get up, flee to Egypt. And going to Egypt is a little bit crazy too, right? Because Egypt's known for what in the Bible? Enslaving the Israelites and harassing them for literally centuries. But Joseph responds faithfully. He gets up immediately, takes his family out as soon as they can, and they go to Egypt, which, fun fact for you, did have an approximate population of a million Jews, so there was at least some cultural familiarity there. But this family stays in this foreign land to protect this extraordinary baby boy. Now, if we put ourselves in the uh, eyes of the original audience for a moment, this would probably be a pretty tough read. See, Matthew's gospel is written for an original audience of the Jews and consequently we see a ton of references to messianic prophecies in it. And the Jewish people, one of the things that they are fantastic at is knowing their history. And so they would have known in these prophecies that 800 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah, when Babylon was taking over Judah, issued the first prophecy letting Israel know, don't worry, a savior is coming. And in the midst of war and hunger and fear, God's people waited on a Savior as their country was being taken over. And they had to wait just a little bit longer. And in 800 years, there was also 400 years of silence, the time in between Malachi and Matthew in your Bibles, where God was silent towards his people and God's people were waiting for the Savior to come and they had to wait just a little longer. And finally the time comes and the Jews who have now endured, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, they're now under Rome's control and so they believe that this Savior, this Messiah that was promised to them 800 years ago, he's going to come in like a war horse. He is going to reestablish Israel into this great kingdom and instead they get a baby. And God's people had to wait just a little longer. How many times in our lifetime, how many times this year, church, have we heard Just wait a little longer. Businesses will open again. Schools will be in person soon. Vaccines are coming. Just wait a little longer. It's not just COVID related either, right? We know our world is broken. We get hurt and we find ourselves asking a lot, like, God, how much more of this can we take? But see, church, it is in that question, how much more, that we see God's greatest act of faithfulness on display. See, if God wouldn't have rescued baby Jesus from the clutches of Herod, what would that have meant for the rest of the gospel gospel can't be written if Jesus isn't alive and so God rescues his only son the one who faithfully has fulfilled every prophecy ever written about his life so that the greatest rescue mission in all of history could continue and God's faithfulness to his son church is also a display of God's faithfulness towards us because church God's faithfulness results in our salvation God saves Jesus so that Jesus can save us. It's all a part of the perfect plan. It's amazing, and you know this verse well, John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world, so loved you and me, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Church, I need you to know that you might be in a season of turmoil. You're dealing with anxiousness and fear from COVID your business might be struggling you've got health issues family struggles you're mourning the loss of a loved one and you're just wondering God how much longer do I have to hold on but the good news is church is that while we still have these earthly problems to deal with we no longer have to wait for our salvation Jesus has come Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive today. And Romans 10, 9 says what? That if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And though it might not immediately solve the struggles that we deal with here in this life, God does give us the joy to overcome those difficult circumstances of our lives. And even better than that is that he will faithfully walk through those places of hurt with us. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you and in his love he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with loud singing. God was faithful to save Jesus so that Jesus could save you and I from our sins and from death so that he could give us eternal life with him that would save us from the earthly problems that we're dealing with and to be in a place where we will be so in awe of God that everything that we've had to deal with here on earth will be so worth it. So just as Joseph trusted God to rescue his family from Herod, trust God's faithfulness to rescue you from your sins. Now the second story that we see in Jesus' childhood is in Luke 2. We're going to be in verse 22 there. Uh, But this church has become one of my absolute new favorite stories. It's incredible. I love it. Let's go ahead and read it. Uh, This is what God's Word says. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, I just want to give a a really quick shout-out to Joseph here, right, because Joseph has been faithfully entrusted to raise the son of God, right, a son that's not biologically his own. Now, I have been told by my mom and several other parents that nothing really prepares you for raising children, especially your first one. So can you imagine Joseph being like, hey, your first child's going to be Jesus, right? And yet we see his faithfulness towards the Lord and towards this baby boy, not just in him rescuing Jesus and Mary to Egypt, but now here we get to see Joseph and Mary together as a dynamic parenting duo, faithfully loving and following the Lord and the laws of Moses. And we'll see again in the next passage too, but what we are witnessing is Mary and Joseph serving as an example to baby Jesus of how to love and follow God well. And I just think that's incredible that the Lord would provide Jesus' parents to be an example for him. And as Mary and Joseph are going throughout the customs of this service, we are introduced to two of the most underappreciated heroes in all of Scripture in our faith. We get to meet Simeon and the prophetess Anna, which, ladies, I think this is super cool. Anna is the only woman in the New Testament to hold the title of prophetess. She's right up there with Deborah, who we know from the book of Judges. But these two people, they see Jesus, and they immediately know, too, that this is no ordinary baby. The passage says that Simeon was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, which means that his heart, church, was for God, and for God to rescue his people. He knew the prophecies. He spent his entire life waiting for the Messiah to come, and by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit promises him that he will not die until he gets to see Jesus. And from the interaction that we see between Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and little tiny baby Jesus, we also can gather that Simeon doesn't just see, but he understands who's right in front of him. So much so that he tells Mary and Joseph that this child of theirs is going to save everyone, including the Gentiles, but that he will unfortunately be the target of great evil, which we know to be the crucifixion. Simeon spent his entire life, church, waiting for the Messiah, and his faithfulness was rewarded by God. And in the same way, Anna, who is 84 years old, when this family walks into the temple, she spent her entire life praying, fasting, waiting upon the Lord for the Messiah. And when she sees Jesus, she is so overjoyed to the point that she goes out to be the very first person to share the good news. Anyone who will listen, she's proclaiming in the streets that the Messiah has come to deliver his people. Church, Simeon and Anna are so cool I mean seriously like I want to be that cool when I get that age but they show us that it doesn't matter what age you are you have a crucial role to play in this church body you can be an encouragement to anybody who comes in the doors of Lakewood or wherever you call your church home they spent their entire lives Anna and Simeon did waiting for the Christ to come and they were faithful to God through all of it why it's because they understood three things First, they knew and held firm to the truth that God is enough. God was enough to sustain Anna and Simeon through years of silence, through religious and political persecution by the Romans, through the challenges that they probably dealt with in their own personal lives. And because they trusted God to sustain them, they were promised to see the Messiah, and they did. Church, could you imagine what that looked like? That they got to see their salvation in person, church where are the areas of your life where you need to have that kind of trust in god where are the areas that you need to believe know proclaim that god is enough to see you through your circumstances and if i can be honest for a moment right i i asked this question not from the pulpit but because is god enough was my question of the year for 2020 and i'd love to say that i always faithfully answered yes but the truth is is that there was a lot of wrestling this year with that question Right? We had to watch uh, the fun and the joy of LSM go virtual for a season. We watched as toilet paper and peanut butter, that was seriously the worst, run out everywhere. But we also had to watch friends and family and our students who we love dearly face their own harsh realities of 2020. And it was tough to answer that question. But by his grace, God did bring me to that place of freedom where I could answer, if all I had left was Jesus. Would he still be enough with a resounding and faithful yes? And though my problems haven't all been solved, right, though my circumstances haven't always changed, I'm much more joyful, I'm much more at peace, and I'm much more hopeful because I understand the truth that unlike Simeon and Anna, you and I, we we don't have to wait for Jesus anymore. He has come and he is more than enough if you are willing to place your trust in him to sustain you. God's word says, Psalm 3 5, Psalm 54 4, the Lord is my sustainer. Ephesians 6 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Colossians 1 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Church, do you trust God enough to sustain you in the difficult circumstances of your life? Do you trust him to work out the finances of your business in a struggling economy? Do you trust him to bring the prodigals of your family back home? Do you trust him to heal the hurts that are caused by the people that you love? Do you trust him not just to be a sounding board for your frustrations as you're praying because you're mad at the world, but do you trust him to be active in the restoration of your own heart and your own life, just like you want him to restore the lives of those that you care about? Church, do you trust God to be God right? Because money, cars, success, all of that stuff, it only lasts a lifetime. Eventually it's going to go, but we know the truth that God and his people will last forever. Simeon and Anna, they only got to see Jesus as a baby, but we know how the story ends with God having our backs now and having our backs forever. Is God enough for you today, church? The second thing that Anna and Simeon understood is that God keeps his promises. Deuteronomy 7.9 says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. When you accept the truth of the gospel, church, you are adopted into God's family. He loves you like a child. And we know that God, the good, good Father, always keeps his promises that he makes to his children. And the promises that he makes to us, we find in God's word. And so when you're going through difficult circumstances, you can trust that God will never leave you nor forsake you. When you are dealing with uncertainty and doubt, you can trust that God will be the foundation of your life and honor your faith in him. And just like Simeon and Anna we can trust that God will keep his promises to us even if it lasts a lifetime because God or because number three that they understood is that God's timing is perfect. I want you to, for a quick second, think about the times in your life where God has told you not yet or maybe he's given you something that you personally weren't prepared for and though it might take a while for us to understand why we had to go through those things, Sooner or later, as we continue to trust faithfully in God, we see that God does, in fact, know what he is doing. We even see it countless times in Scripture. In Genesis, Joseph endures prison for years, and in his perfect timing, God grants him the position of vizier, or second-in-command of Egypt. Hannah and Elizabeth, in their respective stories, spend their entire lives waiting for a child. And God delivers, in his perfect timing, Samuel and John the Baptist, two power players in our Scriptures. David, he's out chilling with his sheep, and he is told that he will become the king, and we know that works out really, really well for God's people. Church, God's timing is beyond ours. It's better than ours, and we can trust that because God loves us, that his timing will always be for our good and for his glory. Now, the last story we see is in Luke 2, verse 41. It reads this, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So once again, Jesus now a preteen instead of a baby, but Joseph and Mary are still serving faithfully as parental examples of what it means to follow and love God well. And they celebrate the Passover and they are now traveling home, Mary and Joseph are, with the rest of the Nazarites. And they realize that they don't see Jesus Now, this tells us a lot about the character of preteen Jesus because clearly Jesus is so responsible as a teenager that even though they don't see him, they can trust that he's there in the party. Now, how many parents would be like, I can't find my kid. He'll be okay. (laughs) Right? But uh, fortunately, they realize that he's not there. They have to travel a day back. Fortunately, not the whole 55-mile journey back to Nazareth on foot. But they have to travel back to Jerusalem, right? And when they get there, they find Jesus doing what all rebellious preteens do. Sitting at church, rubbing elbows with the pastors. Now, of course, I say that last part in jest, but this shows us a crucial aspect to understanding God's faithfulness. Because we see that even Jesus wanted and needed to spend time with his Father, God. Now, if Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, needs to spend time with God, wouldn't it make sense for us that we need to spend time with God too? Right? And we don't just see his childhood. We see countless examples of Jesus needing to spend time with God in his adult life because he understood that the more time you spend with God, the more you will see his faithfulness. And that makes sense, right? Think about the people in your life that you want to know better, your friends, your spouse, your children, and you— know them more you understand them more when you what spend more time with them and so we want to spend time with God getting to know God because as a church right we spend a lot of time talking about how our lives should look and what we should do as Christians and those are good those are important we also should be thinking about spending time talking about the character of God and who God is right that's the reason he created us in Genesis it's the reason he spent time in the garden. It's the reason that he gives us his word in the Holy Bible is because God desires for us to know him and what he's like. And furthermore, if, if God is cr- or created us in his image in Genesis 126, wouldn't it make sense that if we know the character of God, we can therefore know what he wants our lives to look like? Spending time with God in prayer, in his word, in community with other believers, there's so many ways to spend time with him. And as you spend time with him, you're going to learn more about who he is. And the more you learn about who he is, the more you're going to notice his faithfulness in your life. Not because you're doing everything right and God goes, oh, you're a better Christian, I'm going to bless you. More like, no, he's always going to bless you, he's always going to be faithful. But the more that you learn about him, the more understanding you are of his character. And even greater still is that the love that he has for you is going to be the focal point of your relationship with him. Church, we know that 2020 has been an interesting year. For some of us, it's been a cakewalk compared to previous years. And for others, it's been the greatest struggle of your lifetime. And even though the struggle is real and the hurts are present, we know that God has to been present And he has been close, he has been faithful to us through every pain, every joy, every sorrow, every victory of our lives. And we know he is faithful to us because of the love that he has for us. The love that comes from the baby boy whose birthday we just celebrated on Friday. But the good news for us, church, is that Jesus did not just stay a baby, verse 52 of Luke 2. He grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. Jesus, the Son of God, grew up into a man. He lived a perfect and sinless life for you and I, also that he could go die on a cross for your sins and mine. Because there is nothing we can do to be good enough. There's nothing we can do to achieve perfection, but that does not matter to God because for God so loved us that he sent Jesus down. And Jesus died. But three days later, he conquered sin and death. He rose from his grave, and God wants to offer anybody who hears this gospel the gift of freedom and eternal life with him. All you have to do is accept that gift by believing the truth of that gospel and confessing out loud that you do believe. And if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, I would love for today to be the day that you make the greatest decision of your life. I'll be here at the front if you have any questions, if you want to chat about something, right? But don't miss out, church, on the chance to experience the freedom, the faithfulness, the love that God has for you through his son, Jesus Christ. Because we know that even when our world is falling apart, the truth of the gospel shows us this, that God was faithful then, he is faithful to us now, and he is faithful forever to those he loves. And he is always, always enough.